like Lukaku strolling back into Stamford Bridge victoriously. But when we say we're not going to leave, we mean it. We are back for our second season and we are ready to become the real kings of Milan. As always, I'm Rory, only half of the Anglo-Italian, uh, the Anglo-Italian pod, and I am joined by... That, that sentence in the opening of the first episode of the season was hurtful. Why would you have to mention Lukaku? I'm Tommaso, a, a heartbroken Inter fan looking at every airplane that flies over my head <laughs> thinking, is that Romelu leaving Milan for good? God damn it! But guys, welcome back to the Anglo-Italian pod. As always, you can find us on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod and on Instagram at AngloItalianPod. We're super pumped for a new season of our podcast and what a better way to start than to have a preview of the upcoming Premier League campaign. Rory, where are you currently? You're not in Milan. I'm not. I'm currently in uh, North Africa, or as it's otherwise known (laughs) as Puglia. Um, It is hot as balls down here, and it is really humid, and the internet is a bit shaky. So if you do hear any uh, malfunctions, any dogs in the background, um, that is because I'm currently on holiday. But, you know, enjoying it. The work never stops. So back in front of the microphone. Tommy, how are you? I'm doing great. I was in Puglia, actually, south of where Rory is right now, until a few days ago. Had a little holiday with my friends after uh, summer. Pretty pretty busy with work, but man, it's been a great summer. And for what concerns sports, many people are discussing the fact that it's the most successful summer for Italy, if we consider sports. So not only did we win the Euros, <coughs> Rory, but yep. we also collected 40 total medals at the Olympics, 10 golds, 10 silvers, and 20 bronze medals. This is a record for Italy. We haven't won. I mean, our record, our previous record was 36 at the Los Angeles Olympics in 1932 and at the Rome Olympics in 1960. But the best stat of them all is that Italy were on the podium of some sports on any given day at the Olympics. Isn't that beautiful? That's incredible. Yeah, well, obviously, like... It's been a great summer for sport, right? We sat and watched the Euros. That was fantastic. And then having the Olympics to sit down and watch was incredible. And it was great to see it, like watch Italy in the Olympics in Italy while Italy were doing so well. I think the one that everyone was surprised by was the 100-meter final, right? I think everyone was like, where the hell did that guy come from? And the fact that the UK guy managed to false start and get himself sent off was almost a metaphor for the UK as a whole at the moment. Um, But... It was incredible to see him. I just never thought an Italian would be the fastest man on the planet. I didn't. I thought it would be, you know, it seems let's, strange. Let's just say it. He is half American. We've got, <laughs> we've got. No, but he's some, Italian, man. He doesn't no, speak he's, English. He's no, Italian. No, no, I, I know, I know. He's. I think his father is American, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just a little joke. But also, we won the gold medal and we burnt England by one. Oh. Cent of a second. What do you call that? Uh, the a hundredth of a second or a tenth of a second? A hundredth of a second. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you call the discipline? The um... Oh, the relay. A hundred meter relay. A hundred meter relay, baby. Dude, that Tortu guy, the way he sprinted at the end was incredible. And he went with his head first and beat England, just like in the final. Exactly, Rory. One 
month ago. It's the one month anniversary. <laughs> I did see a few memes that were just like, or people on Twitter just like, God damn it, Italy, leave us alone. Just stop it. <laughs> like, And then obviously there was the memes of um, Chiellini pulling back the British sprinter, which I did. I did. I did like that one. That was quite good. Um, yeah, it feels like there's a weird rivalry building up between Italy and England over the past, like, month is really weird but i can definitely feel a bit of like well twitter's full of antagonism but i can definitely feel a bit of antagonism between the two countries now so the next time they face off in anything there'll be plenty of narrative before before we dive into the upcoming premier league season i wanted to ask you rory if you're getting a lot of stick for that final right now that you're visiting your girlfriend's family in puglia uh yes <laughs> i think the first sentence out of everybody's lips that i've met has been like so, how was the final? Uh, oh, <laughs> leave me alone. But I did, in quite a, what I think are quite a ballsy move, the first time I went to family lunch, we have like a big, there's like 20 of us, we all go to the beach, and I turned up in my England shirt. So I thought, you've got to still represent. Um, but I did look like just the typical English fucking idiot abroad, like with my kind of patterned shorts and an England shirt. Uh, Obviously, white slash pink, I did stick out a little bit. But, you know, representing. Um, and I had to buy a few people beers because of bets that were foolishly placed before the tournament. So, there we go. Nice. So, Rory, this episode is going to be part of a two-episode series. One dedicated to the Premier League campaign and one dedicated to the Serie A campaign. And guess what, guys? We already have people coming on the show for our very first episode. We're going to have an Aston Villa fan, a Crystal Palace fan, and our friend Bryce from Chicago, whom you might remember, big time Man U fan. And to discuss Arsenal, yours and yours only, Rory, Chris Qualo. But let's go in order. Let's talk a little bit of this crazy summer for some of spending and should we talk about the big elephant in the room already, Rory? Um, I can't look past it. I don't think any of us can look past it. Tommy, are you ready to talk Lukaku to Chelsea but not do it fully because we need to discuss it again next week? <laughs> well, I'm just gonna I'm going to ignore the inter perspective. I'm going to ignore the team that he's coming from. So this is not an official deal yet, but they just missed the signature, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 15 million pounds a year is the rumor of the money he will be getting mm -hmm. in uh, London. Definitely a, king, a, a salary worth of a king, right? <laughs> um, but what a fucking signing. I mean, the European champions sign one of the best number nines in the world. And they think that we will go with our predictions at the end of the interviews. But I do think that Chelsea... Have made a statement with this with this signing. It was kind of surprising because Holland is still homeless in the Premier mm -hmm. League, and I think a lot of people would have bet that by now he would have been wearing either a Man City or a Chelsea jersey. It's weird with Holland because he's got that release clause next year, which means he can be sold for 65, 70 million, I think. So I think a lot of clubs are hoping that no one makes a move and waiting for next year, although Bayern are kind of creeping over the horizon as they do. Um, yeah, I think, look, what, with Chelsea, what is so impressive is their decisiveness in the market is insane. Like last year with Werner, we all know that he was struggling a little bit and wasn't didn't quite live up to be the striker that they needed or wanted. Um, but rather than just throw it out or just sit and give it another year, they've gone, okay, we can just 
we'll just get the other informed striker or the informed striker in Europe. We'll spend the money that they want. We have all the money, so we'll spend it. And it's just straight away they've brought it in and they've solved that problem in the team. And the, the genius is, is that it doesn't even displace Werner. Like, they can still play Werner around Lukaku or find a different role for him. It's not that he's being replaced. They're just maybe replacing the goals that he wasn't providing. So I think it's that, as always with Chelsea, their decisiveness, it's infuriating as a fan of another team in the league, and especially Arsenal, but it just seems like they have zero consequences to their transfers. <laughs> like, zero consequences. They, let's not forget, this is a player that they sold and let out on loan because they thought he wasn't good enough. Twice, right? Twice. And now they can just decide, oh, actually, no, he is good and we can just spend over $100 million on him. And you kind of think, Jesus Christ, what's the point of even trying to catch up when clubs can do this? But I think if you're a Chelsea fan, after that unexpected Champions League win last year, which was incredible and deserved, you would now be looking, adding Lukaku, you'd be like, oh, this team could, you know, the sky is almost the limit. I think Chelsea, uh, City could definitely be challenged this year and it is not, not as kind of uh, potentially tied up as it was last year. Yeah, I agree. And what you said about the fact that it doesn't displace Werner, actually, I think that Werner could be used as a sort of Lautaro Martinez, mm -hmm. like uh, Conte did so well at Inter Milan. And if he learns those movements, it's not an easy job. Um, but Lukaku being the beacon and having this sort of shorter dude running around him all the time, creating space, finding passes, I think it can be a pretty good striking partnership pretty good is an understatement um we will go with our predictions at the end but what was your first reaction when you heard that Lukaku was going to Chelsea um fuck <laughs> I just thought for fuck's sake um, my reaction as well <laughs> yeah, I just um it's just one of those moves where you wish it was your club making that move you just it's just sheer jealousy you're like ah crap of course they're getting him I felt a bit bad because for Lukaku, I was surprised because I feel like the, the Chelsea weren't a club that ever showed him affection, that right. weren't ever like looked after him. They didn't ever really give him a massive chance off the top of my head. It didn't seem like he got many opportunities when he was there. Maybe for him, it just feels like finished business, like unfinished business, and he can go back and prove to those people that he is the player that they need to be, or he is the player, he's going to prove to them how good he is. Maybe that's what it is, but I just felt like, and again, we're going to talk about it again next week, and I'm being careful not to get too into the inter perspective of it, but from being in a city where you, he was potentially the most loved player at Inter since Ronaldo, right? Origi yeah. Obviously, original Ronaldo. Since and I feel Adriano, like to go... Since Adriano. Sorry? Adriano, yeah, yeah. Adriano, yeah. I think that's a fair point. I think to go from... To go from that to a club that potentially, like, if he doesn't start, if he doesn't score in the first five games, which I don't think will happen, but if he doesn't score in the first five games, suddenly the fans will be going, oh, he's back, Lukaku, he's overweight, he's got no first touch, whatever, all those nar lazy narratives that were said about him the last time he was in the Prem. So I feel like it's a big risk for him, but we've seen that he's not afraid of risks, right? I think going to winter was a bit of a risk and it paid off. So I think, yeah, it's a really, really very clever move from Chelsea. You've just got to tip your hat to him and say fair play, apart from the fact that they're just throwing money at the league. like They're just throwing money around. It, just, it feels, like you said, like he has some unfinished business. And for once, we're not seeing a club giving a second chance to a player, but we're seeing a player giving a second mm -hmm. chance to a club. 
So I think that definitely after the Manchester United experience, he's got some chips on his shoulders um, and he kind of wants to prove, I mean, the Premier League is still the most attractive league in the world. And he's like, all right, I came to Italy. I came, I saw, I conquered, I guess. I claimed I was the king of the city and then I left <clears throat> Lukaku. <laughs> but besides that, right now it's like next challenge and uh, let's go to the club that rejected me not once but twice and uh, let's show them that I'm not salty about it, actually. I just want to complete this unfinished circle, basically. Good luck to Chelsea, not so much to Lukaku. Let's move on to the next player that made the headlines big time, Mr. 140 million pounds. He goes by the name of Jack Grealish, correct? It was 100 million, 100 million pounds. 100 million, not 140? No, 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 no. That was how much I said I'd pay for him if I was Arsenal, right? Was uh, that what? Right, right, right. <laughs> Which is why I'm not in charge of Arsenal. Um, but yeah, 100 million, Jack Grealish to Man City. I think it was a move that most people expected. Um, and also another terrifying addition to a team that were incredible last year. I don't think it's what really what Man City need. I think they've obviously seen an opportunity there to buy him and gone, we can't pass up this opportunity. But if there's anything they needed last year, it's a goal scorer. Now, they may be working on getting that goal scorer still. That is kind of in the pipeline, I think. But I think this was just an opportunity that arose and City couldn't miss that opportunity. Now, for Jack Grealish we all know how great a player he is. He was leading uh, last season. He led in chances created. He led in um, final third passes. I think his stats were ridiculous. And considering he didn't play all the games last year, um, his statistics were mad. Obviously, for England, he didn't start many games, but when he came on, he often made a difference. Look, we know how good a player he is. He's a very pep-type player. Um, Great control, great eye for a pass can take it past a player, can win a free kick. Um, so we know how great he is. I think for City, this is just them starting to build something new. I think he's a piece of a puzzle that they're still finishing. The fact that £100 million is seen as an opportunity, I think says a lot about the current state of football. Because mm. many we, we did have a discussion in our group chat with our Italian friends this summer. And some were arguing that with that money, with 100 million, you can get, in Italy, you could get like three very good midfielders. Mm -hmm. Let's just think of the fact that Rodrigo de Paul, the Argentinian for Udinese, one of the possibly the best midfielder in in Italy together with Barella last year. He's been been a big name for years. He moved to Atletico Madrid for 30 million. Right now, Juventus are still in talks with Sassuolo to sign Locatelli for 50 million. That's already 80 million that you can spend on two class players at midfield. Where does this price come from? This is the reason why Italians, when they look at newspapers and they read these these digits, they're just like, what the fuck? Like where well, does ultimately with these prices, it's always um, who are the club that are buying them, right? Because if let's say Manchester City weren't interested in Grealish and Chelsea weren't interested in Grealish, right? And it was Manchester United. The clubs know they don't have that much, like they don't have as much money, right? So maybe the price is a little bit lower, but when you know that Manchester City are coming from your player for your captain, you're like the, the poster boy of the team, the, you know, Birmingham boy born and bred, like he is the core of the team. 
why not add on 40 million when you know they've got a nation state behind them? I think these and, and these clubs know that. And also, it's how much a player is worth to the club. Like, he was easily worth 100 million to Aston Villa because if they hadn't have gone out and done great business, which we're going to discuss later, he could be the difference between them surviving and getting relegated, right? So to them, he's worth more than 100 million because he's worth their survival. So it's these prices, they come from how much these oil-rich clubs are willing to spend and how much the players are worth to the clubs. Ultimately, there's not as, there's not as much money rolling around in Serie A, so the prices aren't that high. Like, I think it's just... Yeah, that kind of makes sense. I don't know. I hope that makes sense. And I think... No, 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 it does. It does. It, the prices are inflated also because you've got... In Italy, we arguably have only Juventus with with a lot of money yeah. to splurge around. When you've got five Juventuses in the same league, the prices, they go up. It's, it's We've got two PSGs. <laughs> if you know what I mean? It's like the, the, the money between Chelsea and City is ridiculous. United can just about keep up, but not really. And then... All the other teams, Liverpool, Leicester, Arsenal, Tottenham, are having to sell to buy. Like, these are the two, especially with, like, you know, post-COVID, etc. These are the two teams that have money, and they're using that money. And it's, for them, of course, it's an opportunity now for them to get a real gap between them and the teams below them and maybe push on for the next couple of years where it becomes a two-horse race between City and Chelsea. I don't know. Like, it's just... I've, I'm getting very depressed about the state of football after this transfer window, not just because of Arsenal, but just the way it seems that unless your club is owned by a nation state or an oligarch, you've got no chance of ever competing, like ever. Mm. Are, you um, throwing, are you throwing a hint at that club that is known by a three-letter acronym by any chance? Yeah, I can't eat like... Power. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to talk about PSG. No, no, no. Just, we, we will. Have they just special, get me angry. But I'm. We will like have the, a special episode called "What the Fuck," like double acronym WTF PSG question mark. Where is FFP? Anybody? If anybody's seen the person in charge of FFP, can you please tell him there's shit going down? He needs to do his fucking job because a lot of shit is getting past here, and like the the gap is just getting wider and wider and wider. Like we can do a whole episode on why PSG are able to do what they're doing. But look, I think. For City, we'll go back to Grealish. It's a great signing. He's obviously going to do incredibly there. It'll be interesting to see how often he starts because with Pep, you never know who's going to play and who's going to be on the bench. And maybe Grealish will just start in the Carabao Cup for a season, and we don't know. Like it will be interesting to see how key a part of the team he becomes. Obviously, now there's rumours that Bernardo Silva wants to leave, Mares wants to leave. There's a few players at City that are kind of looking at the door. Maybe because they're seeing that they've been replaced. I don't know. So it'll be interesting to see how often he starts. I think for Aston Villa, we'll find out the full perspective um, from AV Billy later on. But I think it's left a bit of a sour taste in the mouth, this move. But I think actually he's kind of done the club quite well um, or as, as well as he could. I remember a quote by Guardiola who said that if he could, he would always start 11 midfielders in a football game. And I think that he might as well be able to do it very, very soon. 11 midfielders, well, one goalkeeper, 10 midfielders, and off you go, Pep. And that, that's, that's also a goalkeeper who can play midfield in Edison. If you know what I, mean? I, I, I would arguably have him in midfield over Xhaka at this point. But I think, um, yeah, they, they won the league last year with no striker. They won the league yeah. with no striker, and they won the league at a canter. Like, it's insane. So I think they're obviously still going to be up there this year, obviously. Um, I think Grealish will only add 
to the entertainment factor down at the Etihad. Uh, so, yeah, fair play, City. Well done. Well done. And well done also to the bitter rivals of our friend Rory's Tottenham Hotspur with surprisingly a good window focusing mm-hmm. especially on the back door since they've signed Gollini from Atalanta. Very good Italian goalkeeper. Not the best that we have in our league, but one of the and one defender that we've thoroughly oh. talked about in last year's season, Christian Romero, always from Atalanta. So these two deals were done by Mr. Paratici, who moved from uh, Juventus to Tottenham as a sporting director. And uh, he pinpointed the fact that Tottenham really needed some help uh, in, front, in, in goal and in front of their goal. Christian Romero is an incredible defender. He really reminds me of Walter Samuel at times, which is a huge praise, but he's also got the progression. He, especially with Gasperini, we've seen how much Atalanta play a sort of total football and many times he was sort of like coming forward and creating chances, scoring goals, assisting for teammates. So it should be very interesting to see him in the Premier League also because he's an extremely physical player. My question right now would be who is going to start in goal, Yuris or Mr. Pierluigi Gollini? What do you think, Rory? Yeah, it's a question that kind of struck me because, yeah, Gollini is a keeper who I've been impressed with um, every time I've seen him. And Loris is maybe getting towards the end of his career. But he is the club captain, so you think you can't just drop him like that. I think you might see a deal where Loris starts in the league, Gollini gets European and Cup games, and then we kind of go from there. Um, I'm not sure, but yeah, I think it's weird because I think Tottenham's main issue last year wasn't really conceding goals. It was more only being able to score one, right? Or like all their goals coming from one place. So I think they've done, like, it's great business. And when I saw they were buying Romero, I was like, ah, crap, that guy's actually genuinely good. I was kind of hoping that Paratici would carry on his fairly dodgy transfer windows for Juventus from the last couple of years, but unfortunately he didn't, and he's actually got some sense around him. Um, but yeah, I think we might see Gallini mainly starting in the um, European Conference League and any cup games, and Loris kind of keeping his um, keeping his league league games. But we'll see. I think Nuno is there to take them into a new a new stage, right? I think the Mourinho experiment definitely didn't uh, work. The Pochettino era is long gone. And I think now Nuno is here to try and put his stamp on the team. And it's a good start. It's a very good start. Yeah. Fair play Tottenham. You've just bought, you've, you've just made some very, very sensible business. I'm not quite sure if they're finished yet. It depends on what happens with Big Harry Kane, right? We need to talk about what happened there. Um, yeah, what, what's what, what's happening and what's going to happen in your opinion? Wrong answers only. Is coming to Inter Milan? Is that the thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's going to be the next king of uh, Milan. Um, <laughs> his um, his brother. I think honestly, this has been like now the, the two biggest like deals that people have been talking about with England are Grealish and Kane, right? Or within England are Grealish and Kane. Now Grealish's PR team handled it really well. Like the move that was quite contentious. I think they actually did very well. His agent managed it very well and it was all quite smooth. Now Harry Kane's agent is his brother. And by all accounts, <laughs> he might not be the smartest guy in the world there were some pictures of him uh, this week on twitter which were incredible of his office 
Um, and I don't know if you have it in Italy, right? You know, like the gadget shop, which is like a toy for like teenage boys where you have all these like pointless gadgets, like a flying camera and shit. And you're like, oh, just to spend your pocket money on. His office was like decorated with all these things. Like, like a child had just gone mad in a toy shop. My personal highlight was a Harley Davidson in his office. But get this. On the carpet, there was a pattern that made it look like the motorbike had skidded into the office. How cool is that? This guy is running his brother's career, right? Like that guy, right? So this kind of explains the absolute mess that Harry's found himself in here now. So obviously at first, he just didn't return from his holiday. Then he went to Florida, which means when he comes back, he has to quarantine well done harry um and then he released a statement saying i never have and never will refuse to train um some of the comments from tottenham supporters have really really been hurtful i've only ever done the best by the club and i would say yeah harry before like a month ago i would say that's all spot on you've done everything right for the club the 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 fans absolutely loved you you've been a legend at that team but now i think that whole thing is not ruined but definitely soured I think like the Spurs fans now definitely know that he does not want to be there, right? Even if he has to play there this season, he's made it patently clear he doesn't want to be there. And I would be intrigued to see how that affects the atmosphere in the dressing room and how it affects his form and especially his partnership with Son, right? They were both very much like Tottenham lifers. He's Son has just signed a new long-term contract. He's definitely happy at Tottenham. And I feel like we've, with this power play that's just gone terribly wrong, um, it could be a difficult season for Harry. And if it is, then that means that's definitely a difficult season for Tottenham because they rely on him so much for his goals. And not only his goals, his assists. His assists were in double figures last year as well. So I like... It's just been horrendously managed, the entire affair. And um, I've enjoyed every second of it, I'll be honest. Because either, either Harry Kane leaves and Tottenham no longer have Harry Kane... Or he stays and all the fans kind of dislike him and he was their greatest ever player. And you think, okay, you know, both of these results are actually quite good. Um, I'll take either of them. But, you know, their defense should be sorted. Yeah, and there are rumors, but I don't want to talk too much about that, about Lautaro Martinez possibly going to Tottenham. It won't, mate, that won't happen. No, that won't no, happen. I, hopefully it doesn't. The discount is closed. To anybody listening, the Milan discount is fucking closed. The, 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 the door is shut stop throwing money at our club because they are going to accept the whole of Mate, I'm, t- I'm, I'm telling you, Lautaro wants to stay. I'm telling you, no, he I know. wants I to know. stay. Like, whether when there was the rumors of Arsenal, I got incredibly excited. I messaged you straight away. I was like, oh shit, if we get Martinez, this could be huge. Um, but I did get the feeling straight away of like, no, I think he's actually, he will stay at Milan. Famous last words, cut to next week as he's unveiled at the new white hot lane <laughs> yeah yeah right if you are a new listener of the pod we're very well known for wrong predictions these could be one of them but we'll focus on Serie A next week but I think that Lautaro Martinez right now he kind of I think he kind of suffered from being in Lukaku's shadow a bit mm-hmm. because he's an incredible player but Lukaku, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. most of the times he stole the show and right now Italy has a great tradition of Argentinian players the club loves him, like the the Inter fans love him. I think right now it's his chance to really step up and be like, hey, I was here all along. I'm going to become like the face of Inter Milan like Lukaku was. But there is another team that did really, really well, I would like to say, on the transfer market. They 
are the mighty foxes. They just don't stop making good business. And this time around, it's Mr. Daka and Mr. Sumare who are going to be unveiled as Leicester City players. So Daka, he comes from um, he comes from uh, Red Bull Salzburg. I was drinking mm-hmm. Red Bull earlier, um, <laughs> and he scored twenty eight goals and assisted seven times <laughs> in twenty seven games last season. And Mister Sumare, he's a regular for Lille. He won the competition with them. He played all of thirty eight games last year, scoring zero goals. But man, oh man, go check out his highlight reel oh, on YouTube. It's... It's, it's incredible. so much fun. <laughs> yeah. Rory, what do you make of the foxes? Damn it, every summer they they pull something off the head, out the head. Well, I think when we last season we were talking about who were the best run clubs, I think, and we said Dortmund and Atalanta are up there. And I think Leicester are like the English Dortmund or the English Atalanta, right? They just every summer they just nail it with their with their business. Like, and you have to remember that like, you look at Pats and Dacker, right? So this guy is incredibly highly rated right the last striker to tear it up at rb salzburg was of course harland right so there's definitely pedigree there that this isn't like a in quotes farmers league this is a competitive league that produces great talent and especially rb salzburg now i was again he's a player that i've kind of watched on and off every so often because i and here it is first mention of the season on football manager i always make sure i sign him because he is the one of the striker prospects on it. And what I was impressed with, he almost could be like the natural successor to Vardy, right? I feel like his pace is insane. He's able to turn on the ball. Like his, he receives the ball and spins so quickly, takes it past the defender and his pace is gone. What I was impressed with is he's able to play out on the wings as well. So he's often like, he'll run out on the left wing and cross it back into the box for someone to put for someone to just stroke it into the net. His first time finishing is incredible. He's great in the air. He's athletic. He's strong. And you're thinking, man, this guy's got the whole thing. He's only 22 years old. And I think this is a signing that could, especially with Vardy going quite quiet towards the end of last season. Some might say invisible towards the end of last season. Ian Acho did incredibly well, but we're not quite sure what Ian Acho's ceiling actually is and whether that was just a purple patch. I think this is a player with real, real um, potential, and he could be like, I think within within two seasons, one of the traditional top six, probably Man City, are going to be knocking the door down for 80, 90 million for this guy. Like, he is incredible. He reminds me quite a bit of uh, Victor Ozyman for Napoli. Mm-hmm. They kind of have the same style. He's very mm-hmm. good with headers, but he's very good at dribbling, bringing the ball forward, and his highlight reel as well is exceptional. And I think, do you think there is a chance for him to play alongside Vardy? Because I think that's going to be Brendan Rodgers' uh, game plan, most of games, kind of playing together with Vardy in front. Well, I think he likes to usually have the one up top. And I think what we're going to see now is Vardy probably... We might see him, and I'm not sure how well Jamie might take this, and again, I could be incredibly wrong, but I think we might see Vardy maybe coming off the bench as a bit of an impact a bit more and not necessarily getting a starting berth because he is getting on a little bit. Um, So I think, but also 
Brendan will be quite sensible, and I think we might not see Dakar in the first couple of games. I think we might see him kind of slowly bled into the team, and then you'll get the transition of maybe him taking over Vardy, depending how well he does. I think it will be one of the two, though. Um, but the other signing they've made, because Dakar has taken all the headlines, but Samare is an incredible player. As you said, he's just won the league with Leo. He plays kind of that defensive midfield, but he loves what I was really impressive. He always finds space for himself. He gets the ball and he manages to hold the player off and he opens up a part of the pitch for himself. He loves, like, he's really capable of dribbling past players. Got a lovely trick in him. Definitely, like, drops a shoulder, puts the ball past the player. Always kind of forward thinking. I was really impressed with him. Um, And I think he's that almost natural successor to the kind of Tielemans and Didi who are starting to get a bit of interest from other clubs. And this is what Leicester do so well they foresee the players that they might lose and they replace them before they're gone. They did it with Soyuncu and Maguire, right? They bought Soyuncu before Maguire went and he was just ready to step into the team. And I think this is what we're going to see with Samare. Maybe because I saw United link with Ndidi. Um, I've seen a few clubs link with Tielemans. I think he could be the next one that's just going to seamlessly fit into that system that they've got there. Just, I'm I'm going to say the best run club in the, in, in the Premier League. Um, Shortly followed, maybe by Aston Villa, that we're going to talk about later. Um, but I've been just incredibly, again, incredibly impressed by Leicester's business. And they could still sell one of their players to Arsenal for 70 million and have his replacement already there waiting. So it's incredible. It is incredible the business they do. Do you see any parallels between the way Sumare plays and an ex Arsenal legend like Patrick Vieira? Because when I was looking at that highlight reel, I was like, hey, wait a second. Not because they're both massive and uh, <laughs> not because they're both massive, but it's just like it really reminded me of that. Uh, also, very technical in some regards. Yeah, I feel like it, possibly he's got a quite a bit more pace than Vieira ever had. Um, yeah, yeah, and maybe. he's, I think, a bit more like. Now, I've not watched the Vieira highlight reel in a while, so Arsenal fans, feel free to correct me, but I feel like Samari is a bit better at beating a man. There was a lot of clips of him just like going past two or three players, whereas I think Vieira was much more get the ball, pass it, and move on, if you know what I mean. So I think yeah. there's definitely similarities in the physicality because I think um, Samari, again, showed in the clips I've seen like great strength. He's Defensively, he's very good as well, can tackle. He's got great defensive awareness. I think he's kind of like an all-round midfielder and a great great buy but like this is what happens with Lille right most of their players that you get are incredible players um Campos is very good at doing that and Leicester are very good at spotting the ones that stand out so I think yeah Leicester have done some great business maybe this time they can finally hold on to that top four place that they've been desperately trying to hold on to for the past two years we shall see but the predictions at the end remember you want to listen to them write them down on a piece of paper, and then make fun of us at the end of the season. But before we introduce you to our guests today, I think we've got an interesting team to talk about because they did pretty much zero business this summer. They won the Champions League two years ago. Last year was uh, quite a tough season. Rory, Liverpool, what's going on at Anfield? Well, I think it's been a quiet summer at Anfield and there's kind of quite a lot of Liverpool fans joking that a lot of clubs are announcing signings and their Twitter account is just like videos of like dogs that support Liverpool or nice like PR videos and like announce some players, please. Um, <laughs> look, I think they're finding themselves in a situation that a lot of clubs are in where they have to sell to buy. 
And at the moment, which, which clubs are you referring to? Um, we'll get to that later. <laughs> we'll get to it later. But and as we can see, unless you are Manchester City, Chelsea, or PSG, it's not really a buyer's market at the moment, or not really a seller's market at the moment. Um, there's not many teams that are kind of taking a risk on players. They're definitely kind of calculating their moves and being very choosy. And if potentially there's a player who's not played in your team that much and you're trying to get rid of, teams are thinking, ah, oh, maybe that's a bit... I'd rather buy someone who's played a lot recently or doesn't have the injury record of this guy. Like, the name that comes to mind is Shakiri. Like, I think they're fairly desperate to get rid of him and the bids just aren't coming in. And I feel like for Liverpool, they need to sell to buy. And they've unfortunately not been able to. Almost in the same vein, as you kindly pointed out, as Arsenal, you can't do business if you've got no money. And if you've got no money, you just got to stick with what you've got. Um, but I think the business that Liverpool have done in bringing in Canate uh, from Leipzig, right, on a free, is they've filled that gap in their squad. We saw last year with Van Dijk and Gomez going down injured, that the gaps in their defence were huge. They had to get Kabak in on loan. They were giving youth players games that potentially or arguably weren't ready for the step up. And I feel like this just provides them with that cover. And even potentially, the guy is a very good defender. He can definitely ch challenge for a starting spot. So I think it's on a free transfer, it's a great bit of business. And like they've done really well to wrap that up. I only worry that their squad might be getting a little bit stale. What do you think about Jorginho Wijnaldum leaving to PSG? I feel like he had become a sort of Liverpool legend with that brace, I want to say, mm. against Barcelona in the 4-0 win. But then when he, when he was unveiled at PSG, he said he felt like he wasn't given the correct chances. He didn't feel like he was praised like he should be at the team. What do you make of that transfer? Yeah, it's a difficult it's a difficult one. I think with with Vinaldum, he provided a very important role for Liverpool. He was always the guy who picked up the loose balls. And like especially from like if you watch them when they have corners against them, um, or no, when they have a corner, if the ball comes out, the first player to get it is always Vinaldum. No matter where that ball is, he collects it, and it, therefore he's able to keep the, that high press up and stop the other team from getting possession. He provides a really important role for them, and I think it is a player that they could potentially miss quite a lot. I think towards the end of the season, his attitude was called into question because he wasn't signing a contract. And with Liverpool fans, that made him very, very unpopular. Um, I think a lot of Liverpool fans didn't like hearing the truth of the fact that he did receive a lot of abuse online and he wasn't happy about it. And I think a lot of Liverpool fans were saying, oh, you're just being precious, or not a lot. I saw some Liverpool fans saying, you're being precious. These guys like earning, you know, the usual, earning hundreds of thousands of pounds a week. What the fuck does that matter? Well, you know, if you're still getting death threats and abuse sent to your phone, like directly to your pocket, that's going to affect you on a psychological level at some point. So I think fair play to Vinaldon for coming out and saying it. Um, he's joined a great project at PSG. We've seen what team they're building there, right? And I think we'll see how important he becomes to that team as well. He will be important in that team. Um, but I think, yeah, he, he's a player that Liverpool could miss, but they are trying to replace him. I think it's just, again, there's not a lot of cash going around, even though Serie a, a lot of Serie A and La Liga accounts seem convinced that the Premier League money is ruining, the country, ruining football. Trust me, a lot of the clubs don't have a lot of money going around. 
I agree with you. Um, so this was it before we jump to our first interviews of the season, which I'm really excited for. One last question, Rory. Do you think we will see Haaland in the Premier League before the end of the transfer window? Not this window, no. I think if he does come to the Premier League, it'll be next summer. But Bayern are sniffing around him, so that could be done. He could be moving to Munich before the end of the transfer window. Who knows? Nice. So, it's now time for our interviews. Rory, do you kind of want to introduce our Aston Villa, Crystal Palace and Man United fans? Okay, yeah. Well, we have kind of decided that we're going to focus on three clubs that we think have had arguably the best transfer windows. They are Aston Villa, Crystal Palace and Manchester United. So, starting off with Aston Villa, we have... Um, A.V. Billy, he is from the Total Screamers podcast. He's a great guy. It was a great interview. Um, and we're going to talk all things Aston Villa and the weird rivalry that seems to be kicking off between Arsenal and Aston Villa recently. So we will be talking that after this. And here we are for our first interview of our Premier League preview. And it is a team that I think has had ups and downs emotionally across this summer. Um, but I'm delighted to welcome Billy from Total Screamers and Total Villains Pod. How are we doing, mate? Uh, all right. I'm all right, thanks. <laughs> Got Holding over, up? I'm over the worst of it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, just get it out of there. How long did it take you to get over the Grealish news? Um, fairly quickly, to be honest with you. Fairly quickly. I was, uh, I, I was one of the... I was one of the large group of Villa fans, if you like, who thought that he was going to stay. Mm-hmm. But as it kind of went on and then City triggered the release clause and obviously the bid was put in and there was no word whether we'd accepted it or rejected it. It's normally a release clause, isn't it? So mm-hmm. over time, I just kind of like didn't get my hopes up when he was back in training and things like that. So, and yeah, with, with the signings we've made, I'm fairly fairly all right with it. Nice. Well, I think that's, you're dealing with it better than some I've seen on Twitter, I think. So congratulations. Um, But so with Grealish, I find it quite interesting because there was a lot of people who said that he's left the club and he's obviously he's left the club and he's gone back on his word and they were feeling quite bitter about it. And there's a lot of people that were saying, well, he signed a long-term contract last year, right? He's ensured that the club can get a big fee and he's kind of left in the best terms possible. Which camp are you more on? I'm not saying which side I'm on either, but which <laughs> camp are you more on? Um, I'm more in the bitter side of it, if I'm being perfectly <laughs> honest with you. it's It did feel like, now we look back on it, it just felt like empty words last mm-hmm. year when he said it was my city, my club, my home, mm-hmm. and my release clause. Because <laughs> he wanted a release clause if a Champions League club came in. Otherwise, he wasn't signing the contract last year. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It just feels like empty words to me. And if he hadn't have been banging on about being such a massive Villa fan mm-hmm. and stuff like that, it was, yeah, it was hard to take. But like I just said to you before we started recording, I, was, I wasn't in the camp where I got my hopes up too much, if you like. I kind of, once that bid was put in, I was kind of resigned to the fact that he was leaving. 
But considering the a club like Villa, no disrespect, but hey, a hundred million for one single player. I mean, yeah. if you if you're gonna be sad for a player leaving, at least that's the silver lining, isn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. And it kind of makes you feel proud as well as a Villa fan, considering that he came up through our academy, cost us absolutely nothing mm-hmm. besides the wages, obviously. And he does move on for a hundred million, which, in my opinion, is a bit of a bargain for him. Because I know hundred million is obviously British record fee, but mm-hmm. bef- before everyone knew that he had a release clause, I, I feel like we would have turned down one hundred and twenty million for him mm-hmm. because he's just he's such a good footballer. But. Anyway, <laughs> can we move on? Well, we can move on. <laughs> we can move on from Grealish. I can see it. So, what about the move? There was one thing that really, really impressed me, and it was the video from I think it was the CEO. Yeah. Um, I can't remember his name now. Who came out and explained the move to the fans, right? And I think if anybody's not seen this, you should go and search out. It's about five, six minutes long, I think, and it just takes you through the process of why the club made the decision and what was going on in the background. How impressed were you with that? And do you think that's something that could become more more common? Because I really hope it is. Yeah, I I was really impressed with it. Villa put the tweet out about five minutes prior to it actually being announced, saying that CEO Christian Perslow is going to do a live mm-hmm. press conference kind of thing. And that's when you knew that it was that the whole saga was all up with. But yeah, the five or six minute video was really good, I thought, because it was just so transparent that you just don't mm-hmm. see from clubs at all. And yeah, I was really impressed with how, with the way he speaks. I mean, he, when talking to any kind of press, Christian Perslow always comes across very illiterate and gets his gets his point across in a good manner, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. by a respectful manner. And yeah, just... The way that he was so transparent about things, I, I really liked. And the fact that he mentioned that we've brought Danny Ings in as well. And the you can't replace Grealish in one player, which no. No, no. which he, he said. So we've brought in the chances that he can create with Emi Buendia, the direct running with Leon Bailey, and then you've got the goals in Danny Ings as well. So the fact that we've done such good business about that as well and with that Danny Ingswell coming out of nowhere was just fantastic. But yeah, getting back to the getting back to the Christian Perslow question, I was really impressed with how he put himself across, yeah. Yeah, it was something again, I think I said it pre-recording that I wish Arsenal was even slightly run a little bit like Aston Villa and it was one <laughs> of those videos where I thought I I just realised I'd never heard Stan Kroenke's voice and the fact that you had the guy running your club explaining and kind of openly doing it, I just thought fair play. And I think it probably eased a lot of anger amongst fans, I imagine. Yeah. So you already mentioned Buendia, Bailey and Inks as the replacement uh, replacements for Grealish. How do you feel about the way the money was invested? I, have, I, I can sense that you're quite happy with it. Oh yeah, I'm over the moon. I really am over the moon. I thought... Buendia getting him in early doors was fantastic business from us. And then, but then I was still in the camp, obviously, that Grealish doesn't go. So then we had Grealish and Buendia. I mean, mm-hmm. what an attack that is alone. Yeah, yeah and then it's we're insane. Bringing in, and then we're bringing in Leon Bailey as well. 
and when he was coming in, I was still in the Grealish camp, so it was like Grealish, <laughs> Grealish Bailey Buendia. What an attack that is! But even if when you take Grealish out, it's such a good attack, and then you add the certainty of goals with Danny Ings. Mm-hmm. It's it's brilliant business, and people are saying, well, twenty five, thirty millions a lot for Danny Ings. It is considering he was on a one year contract, but when you've got such a prolific goal scorer for that little amount of money in today's market, I, I really do think it's top business from us. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic move. And I did love the fact that it came out of absolutely nowhere. That <laughs> never happens anymore. I feel like I've been reading Arsenal rumours for my entire life and we still haven't signed the players. <laughs> for it to just be like, bang, done. It's like efficiency. You know what you want. You yeah. get it done. And like you said, he guarantees you like, what, 15-plus goals a year, like a season yeah, easily. And, I and think, that's injuries included as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So with him and Watkins as backup, who we saw absolutely killed the league last year, I think yeah. Villa are definitely looking like really threatening in attack. And you played great football last year, so I think it would be... Yeah. It'll be as good, if not better, this year. But you've also brought in a bit of experience at the back. And I think it's a player that Tommy knows a little bit about. Um, I don't know if you want to jump in here, Tommy. But bringing Ashley Young back, I think, is a fantastic move. What did you think? I was over the moon with it, to be honest with you, because not only has he got that legacy at Aston Villa (laughs) of of his previous spell, he's adapted the way that he plays to be able to cover the left-back position, the right-back position, and if needs be, the left-wing position as well. So I think, like you said as well, the experience, add that to it, I think it's another great signing and a free transfer is fantastic, even better. (laughs) Yeah, and what do you think? So Ashley Young probably is not, well, I think he can offer more forward that he can do defence-wise, but still... Emiliano Martinez in goal, then you've got Tyrone Mings, then you just signed Axel Twenzebe. What do you make of your defense? Because it, we were focusing a lot on the attack, but it, it feels like mm. the back door is kind of secured as well. Yeah, I mean, I loved our defense last year. I think um, Matty Target was our player of the season, which just shows mm. how good he was, especially when you've got someone like Grealish. Tyrone Mings is... As mad as it may sound, he's probably the weak link for me. He's um, He does make a fair few mistakes. However, towards the end of the season, he cut those out and was a lot more solid. And going into the Euros, I thought for our first two games in the Euros, we, he was mm-hmm. very, very good. And I was a bit annoyed that Maguire came in for him after such good performances, but it's it's Gareth Southgate. That's a whole different story. <laughs> um, and then you move on to the next centre-back, Esri Konza, 23 years of age. We got him for £12 million from Brentford. And he's just an incredible, incredible mm. centre-half. He's the, his pace, the way he reads the game, is just second to none. Well, depending if you want to include Van Dyke, <laughs> but no, he's, he's, he is—he really is a really, really good centre back, and certainly a future England international, in mm-hmm. my eyes, and hopefully a future Villa captain as well. And then going on to the right back as well, you've got Matty Cash, and then as backup to Matty Cash, you've got Frederick Gilbert, who it's uh, it's unknown at the minute whether he's going to stay or whether he's going to go. He went out on loan for the. Um, from January 
last season back to um, Strasbourg, I think it was in France, and he did a brilliant job there. So, you know, competition for places, like you mentioned, Tommy, Axel Twanzebe as well, Courtney House offering offering some kind of um, a push to to Tyro Mings and Eshri Konzo. I don't think there's, I don't think <laughs> it'll be enough to break that partnership. But yeah, he's, it's so good to have such a solid defence and hopefully no injuries either. So the, the controversial question, do you think that Aston Villa are now better without Jack Grealish than they were with Jack Grealish? Uh, it's a really hard one to to say because Jack Grealish is just a world-class player. So, so good. But then uh, it's hard to say without watching... <laughs> it's hard to say without watching them actually in the Premier League yet, you know? We will find but, out this weekend, I guess, yeah. yeah. Exactly, yeah. But I, I don't know. I, it's such a hard one to say because we haven't really improved that midfield area, which I think mm. needs doing. We've, we've apparently been linked with uh, Czech Decore from Lens in France. So if we could get him over the line, he's a young player with massive potential. That obviously bolsters the midfield a bit more. But I, I, oh, I really don't know. It's so hard to say, but I think the signings that we've brought in, I've put my trust in them. And I certainly don't think we're going to be relegation contenders, let's put it that way. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I think you should be all right. I think you should be all right. But before we let you go, I wanted to quickly, there was a thing at the beginning of the transfer window, I, it kind of got mine back up a bit. <laughs> Aston Villa bidding 30 million for Smith Rowe repeatedly. What's that about? I have no idea. <laughs> bit of an insult, isn't it? Really, I think for for such a good player and with the amount of potential he has as well, thirty million was just never going to get him. Whether it whether we was influenced by agents saying, "Look, he, mm-hmm. he might be considering a move" or something like that, but I think I think we just got played by the agent. If I'm being honest mm-hmm. with you, just to get more money at Arsenal. I, I yeah, really I think, don't think there was too much in, in it at all. No, I think you're I think you're probably right. It just seems like a really weird flex. And this yeah. this strange um kind of rivalry that's building up between Villa and Arsenal <laughs> now is quite interesting. Because obviously we every time I see Martinez play, it makes me want to cry because I'm like, oh, <laughs> why did we let him go? But it seems like on Twitter there's quite a bit of beef now. And then you beat us to Buendia, and I was like, Oh, these guys aren't going away. This is gonna be a problem. <laughs> like, these are gonna be a problem. Um but yeah, we are hoping you have a great season. I think you are going to have a great season ahead of you. And Best guess what? So. <laughs> As we are speaking, Arsenal and Aston Villa are both top of the Premier League, ladies and gentlemen. Exactly, yeah. We'll just finish there, right? We'll just finish there. Just we'll finish. take that. Let's hope it's a certain <laughs> at the end of the season. <laughs> but one last question before we let you go, because we've got two more interviews. So last year, Aston Villa finished the 11th with 16 wins, 7 draws and 15 losses, scoring 55 goals and conceding 46. What are your expectations for this year? Again, it's really hard to say. I think we've certainly got the goals in the, in the side, especially with that... Um, with the Danny Ings signing, he's such a good player. And like I said several times, he can guarantee you goals. Um, how we'll play as a group without having Jack there, because it seemed like we just got used to midfield, get the ball, pass to Jack, he'll do something, goal, 
If not, Pastor Jack, he'll do something. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it just seemed like we got used to that kind of cycle. So, yeah, it's really hard to say. I think I'm really hoping that we get a top 10 finish. I think that'll be a successful season um, in my eyes, considering the Jack move. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping for a top 10 finish. If we get higher into Europe, fantastic. If we don't, so be it. I'll be a bit gutted, to be honest, but we go again next season. Beautiful. Thank you very much, Billy. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Damn it, we said 15 minutes and the 15 minutes, 13 seconds. We're getting we're getting good at this shit. It's somehow getting time management after a year, Tommy. I don't know how it's, how it's happened. But thank you so much, Billy. Of course, whenever you want to come back on the pod, you know where to find us. And good luck to Aston Villa for this season. Of course, it will be a pleasure. Thank you very much. And it's time for our second interview, and we are joined by Kurt, or you can find him on Twitter, at Kurt underscore CPFC, and he is here to talk about his beloved Crystal Palace and what I think could be quite an exciting summer and exciting season for the Eagles. Kurt, how are we doing today? Very well, thank you, mate. How about you, chaps? You all right? Yeah, not bad. It's a little bit hot down here in South Italy, but I shouldn't be complaining too much. And I'm yeah. doing fine. And as I told Kurt off mic, this is going to be a nice little mm-hmm. lesson mm-hmm. on Crystal Palace for me. I know that they have a, I mean, I know quite quite a few things about Crystal Palace, but it's also one of the historical clubs in England. So I'm excited to have a fan on to discuss this upcoming season. Rory says that your transfer market, your transfer window was outstanding. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. I think every Palace fan is stunned at the business we've done so far. Um, it's a complete 180, as you were saying, Rory, before before we started. Mm-hmm. Um, some young talent coming through with the squad especially, but our activity in the transfer window has been phenomenal. Um, Elise, Anderson um, from Fulham last season on loan, mm-hmm. um, Mark Gurhey and uh, Connor Gallagher on loan so far. And we're expecting some more coming in. So it's definitely exciting times to be a Palace fan. Well, this I think I feel like it kind of started last season with the Eze signing. I think that was really he he really stood out with QPR, and I was waiting for someone to take a risk on him. And I was really happy when it was Palace who did because I think obviously we've seen with Zaha like I felt I kind of got similar vibes from it, and I thought that he Zaha would be able to mentor him a little bit and take him through the league. Mm. Do you think that Eze was the start of this kind of what has become a bit of a change of philosophy? Definitely, I couldn't agree more. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it was first, but uh, we definitely got this Nathan Ferguson. Um, he was out of contract. I believe it was, I believe West Brom. Um, and he was a very young, exciting uh, championship player at right back. And then mm-hmm. after that, Eze followed and the fans just took to him immediately. Um, one thing I look for in players, especially from the championship, is will they make it in the Prem? Will they be okay? And strong on strong, he's strong on the ball, quick feet, and he's just got an excellent vision for a pass as well. So we love him. Yeah, I think I was really like, I love his style of play. Like when he runs, it looks like he's walking, but Mm -hmm. he manages to get past players every Mm -hmm. time. It's like, and that goal, I think it's a goal against... um, Sheffield United, is it? Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. That's the one. Oh my God, that goal is just beautiful to watch. He just glides past them, doesn't he? And then just slots it in so easy. 
So I think this this started what I think is a change of philosophy. And now there was big news that's come out today while we were recording, actually, with this extra investor. So it seems like mm. this is exciting times for Palace, right? Definitely. Uh, yeah, this John Texter. Uh, he's joined joined the team. He's invested a lot of his own money. And it's allowed us to be as active as we have been in this transfer window so far. And obviously, as, um, as I'm sure you might know, Rory, we've got uh, some incredible academy plans that have just mm. been, well, they're close to being finished now, uh, which has taken us all the way up to category one. And it's just it's just changed the club. And there's just massive buzz around the club at the moment, thanks to uh, some serious investment from this guy. Mm. Well, this is because I was also watching, for maybe our Italian fans who aren't as aware of Crystal Palace, I was watching the When Eagles Dare documentary as well. Mm. And I learned loads from that. Honestly, I wasn't quite aware of how close Crystal Palace came to the brink mm. and this whole move with Steve Parrish. And now this feels like kind of what he was aiming for from the beginning, right? Yeah. Um, and I think if you actually, in, in fact, I've played it down a little bit, Rory, I mean, Parrish has got some amazing plans for this club and mm -hmm. he's always spoken very highly about, uh, you know, you know what, what he wants to do with it, where he wants to take us. And, you know, if we're seeing one thing in this transfer window, I, I believe we've got a, a, a long way to go uh, from, from where Parrish wants to be. But, you know, comparing to, to where we were in that, that documentary, as you say, we've come such a long way so far. It is great to see. So let's focus on some of the, the signings you brought in. Now, mm. obviously, under Roy Hodgson, there was a lot to be desired. I think the fans weren't happy with the football. They weren't happy with kind of what felt like treading water, I imagine. Mm. But you've brought in a few players. And which players do you think were the most key in addressing areas of the team that you've brought in? Um, well, obviously, Patrick Vieira has come in as our new manager. Mm -hmm. um, I was to say and, that. Yeah, and... Compared to safety first football from Roy Hudson, we, you know, we need to do a complete 180. And that, that starts from playing out from the back. Um, so centre backs have been, you know, the, the main the main target for us this summer. And we've gone and got Mark Gurhey and uh, Joachim Anderson, both very comfortable on the ball, great passing, uh, a lot faster than the likes of Gary Cahill and Scott Dan. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so it's really going to be able to, to kind of facilitate what we want to do for next season under Vieira. Well, I'm I'm an Arsenal fan, so I yeah. am really excited to see Vieira in the league. I'm yeah. really excited to see him in charge of Palace. What are you expecting from Patrick Vieira? It's a tough one, isn't it? I think we're favourites to either, and a lot of people's opinions are favourites to either go down or shock mm -hmm. a few and finish quite high mid-table. So um, I'm expecting to give the youth a go. He's, he's, he's been, you know, kind of chosen to take on this role for his expertise in youth. Um we're going to carry uh, carry the ball a lot more, stay on the ball, possession-based football. And uh, I, I just think exciting football needs 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 to come to Sellers Park. We've had it mm -hmm. for too long under... And, you know, obviously he's saved us multiple times, but Roy Hodgson, uh, Sam Allardyce, Tony Pulis, we've had some really um, low-possession games. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, it's been, it's been yeah. quite desperate at times to be a Palace fan. Yeah, well, I, I, God, that is a bit of a like rogues gallery, isn't it? When you go mm. through like Pulis and Allardyce, that's difficult to watch. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, the other player that I'm quite excited by is Michael Olise, right? There was a lot mm. of talk around him at Reading. Um, tell us a bit about him. What is his role going to be within the team? Uh, Michael Olise is someone that just it just came out of the blue. Uh, none of us mm. were expecting it, but from what I've seen of him, he's a left-footed attacking midfielder. I believe he can play out wide too. But um, his, his vision for a pass is just second to none. Um, well, not quite second to none. The only person <laughs> he was uh, behind in terms of assists last season, I believe, was Emi Buendia. Um, and when we, wow. we look at 
we look at the stats that he's he's he kind of accumulated last season. Um, but yeah, 19 years old, and you know, with the pace and skills that he possesses, I think it'll be a very very exciting signing for us. Exciting times, exciting times. I think it's it's mm. good because I think again, I th- without saying it, it might sound patronising, but people in Italy might not be that aware of Crystal Palace. Yeah, and no, it is so, yeah. it is one of the the. If, if not arguably the the best atmosphere in the Premier League in terms of a mm. stadium, right? Mm. So I think it's about time there was some exciting football there. And I think seeing Michael Olise and Eze and all them, te- and Zaha, like, mm. do you think there's any business that needs to be finished? Is there something else that you need to be looking for? Definitely, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm, some people might be aware we've just missed out on the Blackburn strikers. Mm. Adam Armstrong has just gone to Southampton. Uh, he was someone we were in for. So it becomes a surprise to no Palace fans that, that we are in for a striker heavily mm-hmm. um, and even cover at left back from, from what I've been reading today. But a striker and a, and a right winger, actually, are the, are the two mm-hmm. areas of being with all window. One thing I wanted to ask you, well, number one, Joachim Anderson. I remember mm-hmm. him at Sampdoria in Italy. Very, very good defender. I also had him in fantasy football. Good shout. <laughs> um, he delivered. He delivered that year. No, but the, the question I wanted to ask you is, so Rory made me understand how big your transfer window was because six first team players left the club. Yeah. So do you think that all these transfers that we've mentioned have had enough time together with the coach, to kind of build a new system? Or do you think that Palace are going to start the season still undergoing that process of assimilation, new tactics, uh, and getting used to each other? It's a very good question, mate. Um, I actually did a blog post on that uh, exact question the other day. Uh, and and I, I, if it was me, I would have kept a few of the experienced players on, like Gary Cahill, um, I would love to have kept him on um, and Andros Townsend. Mm-hmm. But um, I believe we still do have a, a few senior players at the club. Obviously, Zaha's been there his whole career, uh, bar, bar a couple of seasons away. Uh, Joel Ward's been at the club for a crazy amount of time now. Our goalkeeper's very experienced. So hopefully we've got enough experienced players in the squad, along with Vieira, who obviously has not been out of the game that long, has he really, um, to, to kind of mentor these young players to come through. But it's, it's definitely, you know, of course, for concern. But I, I think we should be okay. And I hope it gels just around the third or fourth game, Mark. Yeah, I hope it does. And Vieira is a player I used to have a lot of respect for. He's a man that I will respect. But this summer, he did say that Italy didn't look that good in the European Championship. <laughs> so maybe not the most far-sighted coach in the yeah. Premier League, but hopefully Crystal Palace is just his dimension to... You have to understand, yeah. Kurt, Tommy, Tommy has a kind of um, a number in his head now of how many times he has to bring up the fact that Italy won the Euros. And that's just yeah. another one yeah. TikTok. Off, right, you can imagine how often I'm hearing this now. It's, it's you know, every first, couple of minutes, right? It's the first episode of the season. Cut me some slack. <laughs> you, know, you know what? You know what, Tommy? It's out of my head now. I'm focused on the new season on Saturday. You, you can't hurt me. You cannot exactly. hurt me. Exactly. Mate, you are a Crystal Palace fan. I know you don't watch international football. I, oh, I, I, I can't right, imagine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but so, 14th last season with mm, 12 mm. games won, eight draws, 18 defeats. 41 goals scored and 66 against. What are your hopes for this year? Do you think that defense is going to perform a little better possibly than last season? It has to. I mean, you look at the teams coming up now, um, the pace that some of these teams possess really hurt us last season. Mm -hmm. And they were actually crippled of injuries last season at the back. 
Um, Cahill was in and out of the team. Our, our first choice uh, left-back was out a lot. So it really hurt us. So this season, I hope to concede a lot less than last season. <laughs> um, but as we were saying, Rory, before before it started, we want to see some young players come through. We've got a few very talented boys coming through at the moment. Um, Rack Saki, uh, he's, he's one to watch out for this season. And obviously the boys we've brought in. Um, I want to stay on the ball more, more possession, fast, aggressive uh, play from the boys, especially with Wolf staying on. That's massive for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully one or two more players to come into that and really shoot us up the league. So yeah, I was, I was, I sorry. was, sorry, Tommy, go right, yeah. No, you go, you go, please. Okay, no, I was, I was really excited by Tyreek Mitchell last year as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Really, really excited by him. But what do you think would be a successful season for Palace next year? Um, I think it's important not to get ahead of ourselves. So mm-hmm. I think next season, as long as the team gels, we give it a season just for the team to gel, um, integrate the young players into the first team squad, um, start playing out from the back effectively. Uh, th- those are things I want to look out for. But I'd, I'd say realistic, um, I'd be very happy with 12th place, 11th place, ar- mm-hmm. around there. Nice. Um, but one thing we're desperate for at Palace this season is a little bit of a cup run. Um, we've been knocked out in the first round by every competition for the last three years. So we really want to give it a go this year, even mm-hmm. if it's the Carabao. We really want to go far. I think that that is a great target. I like that. I feel like not enough clubs kind of focus on the cup competitions. I always feel mm-hmm. like there's clubs like Everton that could always make a bit more of a fist of it mm-hmm. or Newcastle mm-hmm. could make a bit more of a fist of it. And I think that would be a really great um a great little like a great thing to aim for, especially like well, you know, you got to the FA Cup final a few years ago now, right? Under yeah, a, another horrific Pardew. manager of Pardew, right? Yeah. But <laughs> you did get there. So yeah, I mm-hmm. think that's a that's a great little target. But okay, if you for our listeners, um, if you're going to pick one player that you're most excited about this year, um, who are you going to tell them to watch out for? Oh, the 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 shock. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you a little shock one. I think right, Rapsaki right, right. will be very good for the Premier League this year. I'm not going to say he's going to start outscoring Salah or anything, no. but um, I, f- I think he'll hit the ground running. But Mark Gurhey is mm-hmm. is the man to watch. From what I've seen yeah. of him in preseason, he is going to be fantastic. Yeah, he had a, he was on Sw- out at Swansea last year, he right? And he had an outstanding season as they got to the playoffs. So yeah, another player that Chelsea seemed to have let go. Um, but yeah, great signing, great signing. Yeah, I, I think we gave him an offer they couldn't refuse with that one. Yeah. That's 21 million pounds, and there's, there's a buyback <laughs> clause in there, and. All sorts. So they don't. They didn't want to let him go for sure. So I think we've got a gem. Good work. Well, there you go. Well, hopefully it's exciting times at Selhurst Park. I hope to see the place jump in again, just not against Arsenal because we do tend to struggle against you every time. Um, true. But thanks for coming on, Kurt. It's been a great. It's been a pleasure. Where can people find you on Twitter? Where can they find your blogs? Um, just follow me on Twitter, CPFC underscore Kurt. Uh, that's my Twitter, and you'll find all my blog links on there. Um, I'm pretty active, so drop us a follow. Um, don't be too harsh. You know, I'm just a Palace <laughs> fan trying to make it out here. Uh, but, but yeah. You you still got 50 seconds. Any bold predictions? Anything you want to get off your chest? Uh, yeah, tell us okay. which beer you're drinking. Anything. Anything you want. Stella. Good choice. And I think, I, I, I think Brighton will struggle this year. Everyone's tipped them to do really, really well. I don't think they realise the state of their finances at the moment. And Southampton, we can't forget about them, lads. Yeah. Um, Danny Ings has obviously left them. And uh, from what I'm reading, just before I came on, it looks like Yannick Vestergaard's off to Leicester. So they've got to get very busy in this transfer window. Otherwise, I don't think it's good for Southampton. 
There we go. Yeah, I think Southampton, the Saints could be in trouble. It's not looking great. Hassan Huttle had such great hype last year as well, and it all seems to be fading. But thanks for joining us, Kurt. We will have you on again. We will. You will be back to talk about either a great or terrible season for Palace. We hope it's the first. We hope there is also there is also way in between. You know. (laughs) Yeah. No. 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 Well, judging by Twitter, there's only the two. Right. There's only those two things. It could be anything, but I think it's going to be one extreme or the other, boys. And I hope it's the good one. Okay. But thanks for having me on, boys. I loved it. Thank you for coming on. Talk to you soon. And our third and final guest in this first and final episode of season two of the Anglitanian podcast is an old friend of the pod, Mr. Bryce Jones, hailing from Chicago. How are you, mate? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, United making some exciting moves, and I think this is going to be a really interesting season coming up. Uh, I think a lot of teams have done a lot of strengthening, and I think it's going to be really interesting to kind of see where we all end up. Nice, 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 nice. So the headlines transfers were Jaden Sancho and Rafael Varan. Rory, I'm going to ask you before, Bryce, did you see the Jaden Sancho thing happening? And if so, did you see it happening this summer? Well, it really came out of the blue. I think it took us all by surprise that United were going for Sancho, right? I heard nothing for years and then bang, it's done. Um, Look, it took them a long time, but they finally got the deal done. I think... We've talked about how good Sancho has been for Dortmund and how in the Euros, he arguably should have had more of a role for England. We know how good a player he is. I think genuinely for United, it's a very, very annoyingly clever and good signing. Um, I think we're going to see him kind of tear the league up and City are going to be regretting letting him go. What do you make of it, Bryce Jones, man, you fan? So, yeah, I mean, I'm obviously very very happy about it i mean it's just weird because like you know definitely should have had him last summer like that was the whole thing all summer last summer was you know a hundred and what 110 million pounds or something for for sancho and they just never copped it up and but what's interesting is you know, we didn't sign Sancho. We signed some interesting pieces. And then we ended up actually improving on the year. And then we ended up signing Sancho for like 40 million pounds less than we were going to pay last summer. So, like, probably should have happened last summer. But it honestly, kind of in hindsight, seems like a decent deal. Like, maybe we could have pushed a little bit harder for the title last season with him. But we still ended up making improvements. Um, the team is better than it was um, you know, at that point. And, um, you know, we've got the guy now. So, you know, I'm excited about it. Nice. And the other big signing was Rafael Varane. That's the one that really, that's the one that really surprised me. I was, I had flashbacks of Sergio Ramos 2015, just kind of using United's pockets to, you know, get a better deal at Madrid. And it just, it, yeah, I mean, technically he hasn't. I don't think he's technically signed yet. I think he's doing his medical today. But um, so, yeah, that's the one that I was like, this is too good to be true. This is the type of thing that doesn't actually happen for United. And it did. So I'm just like, I'm like, what's what's going on? <laughs> so how is how is Menu's defense going to line up next season? So I think it's pretty clear cut. I mean, injuries aside, I think if everybody's fit, um, 
Well, okay, it's clear cut until you get to the goalkeeper. Um, I think there's still quite a bit of like uncertainty between De Gea and Henderson. Um, two good goalkeepers, one on his day is amazing. I think one on his day is pretty good. And I think De Gea on his day is amazing. And Dino can be pretty good. He had a real stinker against Liverpool, which was a huge bummer. But, um, you know, the potential's there. But um, after yeah. that, you know, would, have you wanted, would have you wanted uh, United to sign a new goalkeeper this no. transfer window? No, no, no. I I think that um, well, De Gea is unsellable because he's on like <laughs> I think the biggest wage in the Premier League. So you know that's that's I could go on about that uh, maybe at a different time. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I you know it's just weird. It's just weird having two goalkeepers that you know could really both be a starter. Um, but we'll see how that plays out. I think Ollie wants to go with Dino. Um, I think he kind of sees Dean as the future, but De Gea, I mean, he had a couple of seasons where he wasn't doing great, but last season I thought he was quite good. Like he had a couple of games, especially one against Roma. I think he made like 10 saves or something like Mm -hmm. that. So I think he, you know, he's just got it in his locker to be absolutely world-class. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But, you know, after that, I think, yeah, yeah, that that back four, I think it's pretty clear cut. Luke Shaw, Shaberto Carlos, um, he's just really stepped up here in the last 12 months, you know, and and I'm really happy for him. He had a really tough start to the to his career at United, obviously, that terrible injury. And then Josie Mourinho just like kind of deciding to be a huge asshole to him. Well, it turns out when your manager kind of supports you emotionally and like is nice to you, that might lead to good performances on the pitch. Who Yeah, and then, I mean, he brought it into the Euros as well. I think he was easily, Mm -hmm. I mean, him and um, Spinazzola, I think, were kind of the two outstanding um, backs. Um, in that tournament, and unfortunately for Spinazzoli, he had a huge injury. But mm-hmm. um, you know, and then the center back pairing, which is actually really exciting in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's a really nice yin and yang situation there between Maguire and Varane. Um, Maguire, obviously, very you know commanding in the air, good good distribution of the ball. I think he's really. I mean, obviously, last summer, it, you know, the whole situation in Greece, and then started the season perhaps understandably pretty poorly. Um, but then I think he really grew into the season, mm-hmm. got really consistent. I think his absence from the team in the last, you know, month and a half of the season really showed his importance. And then, you know, once again, brought that top form into the Euros. I thought he was really good for England in the in the tournament. So, and then, you know, I think that everything that he lacks and pace and, and maybe almost that kind of European, that continental mm-hmm. nuance of the game, I think that, Rafael Varane kind of fills in um, for that. So I think that he is going to really provide a lot of what Maguire needs in support that Lindelof couldn't quite deliver. Well, well, this is the thing, right? I think United fans have been saying for a while that Maguire needs a partner. Maguire needs a partner. He needs a partner that's quick, that's good on the ball. Like Lindelof, I... I, I, it amazes me he's still at United. Baye, I always thought was a really good centre back, but he's just too he's injured <laughs> quite a lot. I think if his fitness record was better, he would be kind of one of the better centre backs in the league. I do really like Baye, but I think it's it's good for United to have finally plugged that gap. And like rather than them, it's almost like 
because over the last couple of years, it felt like United have just done statement signings. Like, here's a big name that we don't need because it'll keep the fans happy. But here they've finally done both, right? They've got a big name signing that actually has a function within the team and fills a gap. So do you and think this shows... Price. Yes. <laughs> like, but do you think this shows a change in direction from the ownership? Do you think the Super League has kind of woken them up a little bit and they've been like, oh, crap, we really need to get our stuff together? Or do you think it's just an opportunity came and they've taken it? Um, that's an interesting question. So I definitely think that the ownership definitely have some, uh, PR to make up for. I think mm-hmm. that they really, really messed up there. And, you know, I, the, the fans went crazy, understandably. I mean, I hate the guys. Um, mm-hmm. but also, you know, they did some shuffling in the, you know, in the back in the office, you know, like, um, uh, John Murtaugh is kind of the new, I don't know what title united use for him but essentially like the sporting director type mm-hmm. position and then they have darren fletcher in there so i think they kind of have this like two these two people one is very kind of business oriented and one is a, a football man you know darren fletcher kind of a borderline legend for the club but mm-hmm. um so i think that some of that shuffling in the back house there maybe is providing a little bit better kind of results in the market um, and then I think that I I also just think it's situational. I think that the two players that we in positions that we really needed to fill became available for prices that were good. So I think that we jumped on it and it just kind of surprises me. I'm still kind of like, how did this happen? But at the end of the day, it did. And I'm, I'm happy about it. So, and then, I, for me, I think Wambasaka is a great right back. I think he's improving. Mm-hmm. He's still young. He's getting better going forward. He's still not great, but he's getting better. And then his defensive ability is good. And I think that having Varane next to him instead of Lindelof is going to make him even better. Yeah, I think it gives him that freedom to be a bit more attacking, right? Knowing that yeah. Varane can kind of cover a little bit. And I think... Like Wambasaka's defense, you're right. His defensive ability has never been in doubt, really. I think even when he was at Palace, people were like, "Okay, this this kid's going to be good." And I've always been impressed with him. Like one on one against wingers, he always seems to win the battle. Like he always seems to come away with the ball. I think he's like he he is a very very good defender. Still lots to learn, but I do like him. The 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 problems for me for United that they still haven't solved, I think, is the midfield. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, I, and uh. I'm like 50-50 what was more important, a a Mm -hmm. competent defensive midfielder or a a new center back. Because I think that having someone good in the midfield to cover um, really can help a lot. I don't think Declan Rice is that player for us. I think the price is way too high. And I think that he is a good defensive midfielder for West Ham, a team that kind of sits back a bit and plays on the counter, which... I, I I just don't know if he's suited to a team where we're going to be on the front foot and he's going to be having to go back and try to stop a transition instead okay. of sitting okay. back and starting a transition, if that makes sense. So I I wasn't sure about that. And to West Ham quoting, what, 100 million pounds for him? That's I'm sorry. But, well, we've talked about this. That's what yeah. he's worth to West Ham. Ultimately. Yeah, exactly. He is, I mean, he's like, worth that, but yeah. I don't know if he's worth that to us right now. So. So if you could if you could do one extra signing for United this summer, it feels like you're pretty content. The squad is there. You already have a starting lineup, and it's a convincing one. But if you could pick one name with the budget that you assume 
Manchester United have, who would it be? Realistic one. Man, one name. That's tough. Um, I think that we need a defensive midfielder who's obviously, one, very good at defending and can stop a counter, and two, can pick the ball up off the center backs and move it forward quickly. Um, and I'm not sure if that player exi- is available and exists right now. Like, obviously, <laughs> Ndidi's defensive ability is incredible, but I don't think his passing... It's getting a little bit better, but I don't think it's quite where we need it to be. I think uh, Basuma is an interesting... Basuma's a, I'm, I'm gutted yeah. Arsenal didn't pursue Basuma. I think yeah. Basuma's the one that people are going to be chasing. Like... Yeah, I think he's a very interesting player. I think that... Brighton are a better team than where they ended up last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think he could be bought for a pretty attainable price. Obviously, Declan Rice, so young, but you're in, always going to pay that English tax for him. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said, I just don't know if he is, and I could very well be proven wrong, but I just don't know if he fills that role that we need right now. So, you know, so right now, I mean, if I could pick any one player, it would be Joshua Kimmich, but that's never going to happen. So, you know, either Ndidi or Basuma for me. Or, mm-hmm. you know, and Saul is interesting too. Saul, uh, sorry for my Americanizing his name, but... Um, <laughs> Saul, you better call uh, Saul. <laughs> Saul. I don't get how he was so important for Atletico that he's on like a lifetime contract, and now all of a sudden he is sur- surplus two requirements there i don't get what's going on there, so. i feel like simeone wakes up and just decides i yeah. feel like once he's decided it's kind of done i don't know yeah. it's a strange one uh but yeah there'll be a few clubs chasing him but i think yeah basuma and indeedy would be pretty decent shouts i think the the fred mctominay thing isn't quite good enough to get you where you want to be unfortunately well, I don't think McTominay is a defensive midfielder. I think McTominay wants to go forward, and that's when yeah, he's at yeah, his yeah. best. Like, there mm-hmm. was a couple of games where he was just breaking through the midfield, and I mean, he scores goals. He yeah, he scored like a few he scored goals like, this year. Like, he scored like in three games in a row, four yeah. games in a row. I and then Fred, bless his soul, I think that we were looking <laughs> to kind of have a Conte esque, almost like Terrier in the um, midfield, but his first touch. I mean, if you look next time you look at him, look at how disproportionately big his feet are for his body. (laughs) It's like it's so weird. I don't understand how he doesn't like trip over those. Like he's got like a six foot person's foot (laughs) on like a five foot six body. You know, it's so weird. (laughs) But um, Bryce, we've got one more minute. So last year, Manu finished second, winning 21 games, drawing 11, losing six, scoring 73 goals and conceding 44. What are your expectations for this year? Go. Fourth. Fourth? Yeah. I think that last year was weird. I think Chelsea underperformed. I think Liverpool obviously underperformed. I think both of those teams now have better managers than Ali. I think that Chelsea with Romelu Lukaku, sorry, Tommaso, is going to solve <laughs> it's a come lot up a few times. Don't worry, it's the problems that they had last year. I think he's going to score a mess of goals. I think mm-hmm. that they're going to be scary. Um, obviously, City with Grealish, I kind of think they're going to win again, especially if they get Kane. I think Liverpool are going to be back at it. Obviously, we don't know how Van Dijk and Gomez are going to return, but I think that they're just going to be rearing to go again. And I think Chelsea are going to be right there in that mix. So, 
Damn. And I think all of those teams have better managers than Ali. I love him to death. I think, I think he's a great man manager, but tactically leaves a lot to be desired, in my opinion. Nice. We... That's more conservative than I was expecting. Yeah. I was, I, I like I'm not that. crazy, was... dude. I use my no. brain a little bit. I think that, um, yeah, like I said, I think last season was weird. Um, I think that we won a lot of games at the very last minute. I think that you can never, the amount of times we went behind in games to come back and win, I don't think you can bank on that again. Yeah, um, and yeah, so I just think, I, I think fourth is conservative. Yeah, it'll be kind of a bummer, but I think that we won a trophy. I think that we will win either the FA Cup or the, or the, uh, whatever it's called, the Carabao Cup or whatever we want to call it. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, okay. nice. Thank you so much, Bryce. Unfortunately, we're on a tight schedule in this first episode, but of course, whenever you want to come back and discuss menu and the Premier yeah, League. Yeah, bring me on again when we get bounced out of the uh, group stage of the Champions League again. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah, we will talk to you soonish, hopefully. Thank you a lot for being here today, Mr. Bryce Jones. And one other time, we have to talk about Phil Jones as well. The Phil Jones dilemma, you call it. But that's for yeah. another episode. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Love it. Uh, tune in every week and you know, love, love to hear you guys and see you guys too. <laughs> Always a pleasure, mate. Thanks. And there we go. That is the three teams that we decided to focus on with the best transfer window this summer. Um, I'm kind of depressed about how sensible Manchester United have got and how good their transfer window has been. It worries me deeply. But now we can talk about what actually worries me deeply, and that is the absolute nonsense that is Arsenal's transfer window so far. Tommy, what questions do you have before I go off? Let's just go with the big name, uh, so to say, for Arsenal, Mr. Ben White. Why am I hearing a lot of Arsenal fans that sound very excited about the signing, but then half of the other side of the world kind of mocking them for being excited? Well, because everybody mocks Arsenal for everything they do. It's now like if we went out and signed Messi, people would be saying he's a has-been. Why are they wasting all the money on him? If we went and made like whatever Arsenal do, fans laugh at it. So fine, let's just fucking live with it. This is actually a very, very good signing. Like I'm convinced of it. This is like when before he joined Arsenal and he was in the England team, everyone would say, oh, this guy, you know, he's one of the most promising centre-backs in English football. This guy could possibly push for a place in the, like a starting place in the, in the England team. Maybe, he's, you know, he played a few friendlies, really good, had a great season with, with uh, Brighton, was really good for Leeds um, when he was there. But now he's signed for Arsenal, suddenly he's dog shit. And you think, right, okay, fine, fine. If that's what you need to tell yourself, fine. But we've actually made a very good signing. With the price of 50 million, I think in a few years, people are going to look back and go, that was actually quite cheap. Um, if we look at the fact that like Maguire went for 80, and Maguire's a great defender, I think Ben White could easily be as good, and we got him for 50, right? So I think it's a very clever signing. It was it, What he does is he replaces David Luiz, right? Hopefully with less mistakes in him. But what he's able to do is his passing is incredible. He's like... His passing from uh, defense, his carrying out the ball, he's that ball-playing defender that we need, um, hopefully to play alongside Gabriel. I think that's actually a very good partnership. Within our defense now, all we need to really do is buy a right back, and I would quite like a backup goalkeeper. But I think 
Tierney, Gabriel, and Ben White is three quarters of a very good defense. Um, so I think we're kind of almost there. It's just whether we're going to get any other business done in the in this window. And actually, funnily enough, last season, defense wasn't our problem. We had, I think, the third best defense in the league. Defense wasn't our problem. Our problem was scoring goals. Like, but what about Nuno Tavares? Because that sounds like a good signing for the defense as well. He's a left back, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Can also play at midfield. So your defense might be complete at this point, I think. Well, I think it was important because obviously Tierney is our main left back, right? He's always going to be the starting left back. But I think the problem is Tierney was injured and is injured quite a lot. So I think it is really good to have solid backup for him. And I think that's what we've done. With Kolasinac, we're going to cancel his contract so we can join Ozil in Fenerbahce apparently. So good, right? I think with Tavares, it's good to have solid backup um, for Tierney. I've seen him in a few of the friendlies, really impressed with him. The other signing we've made is Sambi Lakonga from Anderlecht. Now, this guy looks like an absolute prospect. He's mid like in midfield, he's that he's the dynamic kind of midfielder we need. Um can find space, really forward thinking. What is really what we were really missing at Arsenal last year was the fact that all our players, their instinct is to pass backwards. And what we need is players whose instinct is to pass forwards. And he's one of those. He's got a great eye for a pass. He's able to beat a man. And I've just been very impressed with him. I think he's only 21 years old, 20 years old. He was captain of Anderlecht already. Um, So they definitely, definitely rated him. And I think he's a player that, again, he could actually become quite a big part of the Arsenal team this year because I'm I'm intrigued to see if if Arteta sticks with Al Neni. I hope he doesn't. I hope he gives the Congo a go because I think alongside Xhaka, he's maybe got a bit more of that forward kind of impetus we need, especially while Partey is still injured. Um, I think he could actually have quite a big season for Arsenal this year. I'm quite excited. But we still have so much to do in the transfer window. This team needs... So much work, so much work. We've got Aubameyang, who still hasn't scored a goal in preseason uh, because he's been played out left. How loud do we have to scream it? Aubameyang on the left just doesn't work. He's our best striker. Play him as a striker. Just play him as a striker. That's what he is. Play him there. Just play him there. Like So Aubameyang, we're not sure what we're going to get with him. Lacazette, we need to sell if he's because he's running into the last year of his contract, I think. So we need to sell him now or lose him for free next summer, which let's face it would be very Arsenal. Um, at which point, if we do sell Lacazette, we need another striker. And then there's the biggest problem in the team is the fact that we cannot create chances. We just cannot create uh, create opportunities. We need a number 10. Now, Smith Rowe has been fantastic. I'm really excited about him, but I think we need someone with a bit more experience. This is where James Madison hopefully comes in. Um, so I think Arsenal and Arteta have a lot of work to do in the remaining three weeks. We arguably need, like I said, a backup goalkeeper, a right back, a number 10 and a striker. That's four or five players that we arguably need. And we don't have a lot of time in typical Arsenal fashion. We'll end up getting to deadline day. Like I can tell you how the start of the season is going to go, right? Watch this. Let's go. Let's go. Rory. Brentford. First game of the season. We drop points against Brentford, right? I'm not going to say loss or draw. We're just not going to win, right? Then our next two games are Chelsea and City, right? We're going to lose both of those games, and Arsenal Twitter is going to go into full meltdown. It's going to be like the end of the world. 
But the transfer deadline day is still going to be there, right? And we are just going to fucking panic and shit ourselves and sign three or four players on transfer deadline day that we necessarily that we don't necessarily want or need. That's exactly what's going to happen, um, and I can't wait. <laughs> can you tell me a, a name that you can picture Arsenal signing? One of those names that you're going to panic, you're going to buy him, but you don't need him. Um, the one that did panic me a little bit was Kieran Trippier. <laughs> when I saw him, I was like... Okay, he's a right back. Yes, he's all right, I suppose. He is over 30. That's not really the profile we were going for. So I can see that. Um, I could also see a panic of like just getting Odegaard on loan again because we've run out of ideas. Okay, um, nice. I can, like, I think it's going to be a bit of a. The, the big one is if we get James Madison. I think that could be huge, but it, it will cost us money and it's whether we want to spend that amount of money. Um, there's a lot of Arsenal fans losing their shit that we're going to spend 30 million on Ramsdale, the goalkeeper from Sheffield United. I personally quite like him. Just because he's been relegated doesn't mean he's. He's a bad player. That's not what it means. Um, I think he's actually a good goalkeeper and he could be better with his feet than Leno. And we do need a keeper who's decent with his feet. So, yeah, we'll see. I'm like, I, I tried this transfer window to be quite like namaste about it. I was like, right, whatever happens, happens. Let's not let it affect my mood. We either sign people or we don't. Let's not obsess over it. And it started quite well, but now it's going pretty terribly. And I'm like checking Twitter every two minutes, hoping that something's been announced and being disappointed. I'm quite stressed. I'm quite stressed. It's almost, I can I can tell you are. It's <laughs> almost that you always are at the beginning of the season and throughout the entire season. Guess guess. But Arsenal is pain. Just Arsenal is pain. It's just pain. Well, we we will talk about Inter Milan. In, <laughs> yeah, in yeah. Fuck. But the Premier League, ladies and gentlemen, is kicking off. If you're super lucky because I did an incredible job, you're listening to this on a Thursday night. But if you're not, you're listening to it on a Friday morning. Well, the Premier League kicks off on Friday night at 9 p.m. with Rory Brentford Arsenal. He already predicted either a draw or a loss. Definitely not a win. Then we've got Man United leads on Saturday at 1.30. Always on Saturday, we've got Leicester City, Wolves, Chelsea, Crystal Palace, Watford, Aston Villa, Everton, Southampton, Burnley uh, versus Brighton, and Norwich versus Liverpool. While on Sunday, we've got Newcastle, West Ham, and the very, very big one. Could we call it the Harry Kane Derby? Manchester City Tottenham, baby. I did see. I don't know who the Twitter account was. I really wish I saved it, but I think it was Richard Jolly, maybe. But he said it will be interesting to see the first player who refuses to celebrate for scoring against a future club. Ooh, well, <laughs> Which I did I, quite like. I did I quite like. I was checking the news earlier. It's not even sure whether Kane is going to be called up for the game or not. What do you think they're waiting for? Are they waiting for like transfer details? Do you think it's like on its way and it's going to be done by the end of the transfer window? I think him and Levy are just arguing, just arguing, locked in negotiations with his idiot brother for eight hours a day, trying to figure out what's going on before he kind of. I think they're all trying to keep their cars close to their chest, and it will see. I can I can picture like a Zoom call between like uh, the the Levy and the um, the Canes, the Canes, and there is one of the Canes going around the desk with his Harley Davidson <laughs> and Levy. <laughs> just like, <laughs> like, can you fucking stop, dude? Look, I've got this super cool new magnet look at all the lights <laughs> that he can make 
But Rory, it's time for our beam, 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 wrong answers only predictions. Are you ready? Oof. Right, here we go. So, um, are you going first or am I going first? Well, just you say the category, then I go first, and then you go second. Okay, so the first category is title winner. Title winner, I'm going to say the Blues Chelsea. Why? Because I think that the Lukaku signing is just the addition that they needed to an already very good squad. I think that Tuchel was there for only six months and he managed to win them a Champions League. He did incredibly well. I don't remember the stats, but they lost a handful of games, not even, uh, while he was in charge. And so I think that Lukaku is the signing that they needed to keep that form up and possibly achieve more in national territory. What are your thoughts, Rory? Um, well, for all our day ones, the people who've been following us from back in the day, I'm going to stick with my uh, prediction from last season. I'm also going to say Chelsea because a broken clock is right at least twice a day. So I think if I keep saying Chelsea, I'll get it right eventually. Um, no, I think, I think like you said, I think they've uh, made the additions they need. Tuchel has kind of transformed that team, and I think they're going to be ready to make the step up. The next category is top four, Tommy. So take us through yours. So top four, I'm going to say first, Chelsea. Second, Manchester United. I can see a big United-Chelsea rivalry building up. Third, City. And fourth, here, here, just for the pod's sake, I'm going to say, surprisingly, Arsenal. Because <laughs> I want to see, see Rory God, I wish fourth place like a title i i think the pod needs that we need arsenal to do a good season we've already covered it i was a spoiled big time last year with inter winning the title italy winning the european championship now i think it's time for rory to get something so i'm gonna say arsenal fourth i appreciate i appreciate the positive vibes you're trying to send out Your positive vibes. Um, I'm going to go for Chelsea first. I'm saying City second. I think it's going to be quite a close title race, but I think Chelsea will get it. Then I'm going to say United third, and I'm going to say Leicester fourth. I'm going to say they finally hold on to the fourth place spot that they've deserved for the past two, three years. Sorry, um, there, was a, good. There, was a, oh. there was a weird arrow in my notes between United and City with a K over it, and it means that if City do sign Kane... I think that they will be second instead of United. Mm. But if no, I, I, yeah, I take that. There's still business to be done, right? Um, yeah. Good. The next one is the team that you think is going to be the surprise package of the season. All right, guys. You know that this is uh, we talk about two leagues: Premier League and Serie A. I'm definitely more focused on Serie A. It's the league that I follow more. I don't watch as many Premier League games. But I want to say that the surprise package this year that is going to challenge the top spots in the Premier League is going to be Brighton and Hove Albion. Oh, <laughs> Because with the whole XG, actually, that's a story that I followed quite passionately like last it. year. I like it. The, the unluckiest team in Premier League history was Brighton and Hove Albion. And I think that this year, Graham Potter is going to get his magical wand. What about Mm-mm. that? And he's going to turn <laughs> things around and they're going to fucking convert those XGs and they're going to be challenging the top spots of the Premier League. Nice. Well, I'm going to go for their direct rivals and I'm going to say Crystal Palace. Um, I'm, I think I've been really impressed by a few things there. Now, as we did discuss with Kurt, so I'm not going to go too in-depth here, 
the appointment of Patrick Vieira, the change in direction of the team, the young talent they've um, they've kind of acquired. I think that it could go one or two ways, and I think that's why they're going to be a surprise package. It could either go really badly or really well. Either way, we're going to be surprised, right? So I think Crystal Palace are going to be the surprise package of this year. Next one, the team that is going to be the biggest disappointment. Look, this one is a very tough one for me. I didn't write anything down because, like, what would be a disappointing season for Liverpool, for example? If they didn't make the top four, if they didn't make the top six, what would be a disappointing season for a Mm -hmm. team like that? So it's kind of difficult to think about, uh, I don't know, if you compare it to the previous season, I think that Everton are not going to be a very exciting team to watch. I feel like the the magic started very early in the season last year with the appointment of Ancelotti. Right now, Ancelotti is gone and it feels like (laughs) the momentum is gone. The end of last season was terrible for for the blue side of the Mercy side. Mercy side, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mercy side river, yeah. And uh, so I want to say Everton. Everton is going to be a very disappointing team to watch this year. Um, also, I was looking at their transfer windows. Nothing very exciting happened there. They've, they've gone very Benitez, very kind of boring down the road signings. Uh, Townsend, I think, and Begovic. It's all a bit... Ugh. Yeah, I think Everton are a good shout. I'm going to go for Burnley. I think Burnley have kind of been struggling for the past couple of seasons. Well, I think last season they kind of nearly got dragged into the relegation battle, but managed to avoid it. I think this year they could get dragged in. So I'm going to say Burnley are going to be the biggest disappointment of the season, but I do like your Everton shout. Good. I forgot that Benitez was their manager this year. Wow. Now it all makes even more sense. Yeah, 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 mate. It's that Everton is going to be. Yeah, I. The second you said Everton, I kind of wished I'd written down Everton. But I'm going to stick with Burnley. Um, The next one, best signing of the season or signing of the season. Tommy, I'm going to let you go first. Yeah, best signing of the season. I want to say Romelu Lukaku, man. I want to say Romelu Lukaku. He's in the form of his lifetime. Um, He did something that he like he, he did something different in his career with the move to Inter Milan he met arguably one of the top three best managers in the world in Antonio Conte he worked super hard I think that it's just funny now to think that he was labeled as a fat fuck uh, number nine because man all of his pictures he looks he's been training with American football players in the US. He's been he's been he's in the shape of his lifetime. I think his confidence is over the roof. He's going back to Chelsea with a mission, and I think that he's gonna deliver it. He's deadly. He's going to find another great manager like Tuchel. I think the motivation in Italy, Italy Inter were really competing only against Juve and maybe a few other teams, but they're having the Manchester Cities and Uniteds and Tottenham's and Liverpool's and Arsenal's is just going to bring fire in his belly even more. So I'm going to say that that's going to be the best signing of the season. What's your shout, bud? Well, I was going to go for Big Rom as well, but I was also, I'm actually going to try and be a little bit different. I'm going to say Leon Bailey for Aston Villa. Um, We obviously discussed him with AV Billy, but coming from a... Leifakusen team who were, you know, up and down to say the least. Um, he they finished sixth last year 
and he was their joint top scorer with 15 goals. Um, he also got 11 assists in that period. Um, and I think he's just a really exciting winger, attacking midfielder. And I think he could be really key in what I think is going to be a great season for Aston Villa. So I th- I'm going to say Leon Bailey, the the Jamaican reggae boys, I think they like to be called. Um, good. Next topic, the penultimate topic, the player of the season. Player of the season. Well, this one, again, I think that if Kane goes to City, he could be, he could be like this could be the best season of his life. Um, being coached by Guardiola with the bag of tricks that he already has, I think could be a deadly, deadly matchup. But until that deal is done, I'm going to say once again, Romelu Lukaku. Um, I just think his goals are going to be ha- are going to be many, and they're going to be heavy, and they're going to win Chelsea a ton of games. Mm-hmm. I think that Chelsea right now have the confidence also of being able to make a statement in Europe, and the responsibilities are all over the place. Lukaku has learned to take the weight of an entire team on his shoulders. Again, confidence over the roof. Romelu Lukaku. God damn it. He's gone, Tommy. He's gone. <laughs> He's gone. It's done. It's done, Tommy. Um, what is it? Don't be sad that it's over. Be thankful that it happened. I hope hey, that brings you. I hope Jaco, that brings you some solace. Hey, I saw it on Instagram once. Jaco is in Milan. He just. Passed <laughs> hey, 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 that's for next talk, week. That's for next we'll week. We'll talk about that. But I'm not that. I'm not that sad about that one. Rory, player of the season. I'm gonna say, and I think this might be a bit of a um, left field shout, but usually the player of the season comes from the team that won the league, right? So I had to. I've said Chelsea, so I thought I'm gonna stick with the Chelsea vibe. I think people are starting to wake up in England to Jorginho. People mm. are starting to see how good that guy is and how key that guy is. He's got the Champions League. He's got the Euros. He could have a Premier League by the end of the season. I think if. Chelsea win the league, he's going to be key to it, and he gets player of the season. I think like a lot of these things are kind of like you know the flavor of the week, and I think people are starting to kind of realize, like Kante, we all know how great Kante was, but then everyone went a bit mental for Kante, and you're like, okay, cool, calm down, like it's only Kante. I think like Jorginho is kind of getting to that point where people are starting to really, really see, and I think the hype is going to build up to an unmanageable level, and he'll get player of the season. Um, finally, we're going to go for the teams who we will not see next season. We're going to go for the relegated teams. Tommy, who do you think is only here for around nine months more? Look, Ten months. this one, it's already so difficult to predict who's going to finish. Not even top, like second, third, and fourth. I don't have a clear idea, Rory, on this one. My knowledge of the Premier League is building, but it's not quite there. So I'm going to leave you with the predictions for the relegated oh, really? teams this season. Okay, I'm going to say Watford, because it's Watford. Um, I'm going to say Brentford. They'll they'll win a lot of people over. People will love the football they play. People will love their players. I just don't think they'll quite have enough to stay up. And as I've said, I think Burnley could see themselves falling into that gap. Um, but I'm going to put in little brackets around it, Southampton, because I'm a little bit worried about the Saints and what is going on there. So, uh, yeah, Watford, Brentford and either Burnley or Southampton. So a bit of a cheat there. I think we both kind of copped out on that one, but never mind. You have some predictions that you can laugh at us about at the end of the year. What more do you want, you animals? That's all you're getting. 
I've got one question for you, Rory. What shall we expect from Bielsa's Leeds? The second season in the Premier League, they impressed quite a bit last year. They were given quite a bit of stick because their football didn't really seem to belong to the Premier League. What do you think Leeds fan can, fans can look forward to this season? I think they can look forward to a push for the European Conference League. I think they're going to be pushing for there. I think we're going to see, we, we know what we're going to see. We're going to see exactly the same style of football as we see every week at least, because exactly. Bielsa never changes. They've made some good additions. I think that Junior Firpo from um, Barcelona is a really, really clever signing. So I think Leeds fans can be excited. They, they are like a, they are a Premier League side now. They're going to be there for, I don't know, they're in no danger. And I think they're going to be pushing for European places. Another exciting season ahead. Um, I've just started, uh, I've just, well, finishing reading a book on Bielsa, actually, uh, A Life of Madness by Tim Rich. I think it is. It's really, really fascinating. So if you want to read more about El Loco, um, that is a book I would definitely recommend. Absolutely fascinating man. Lunatic, absolute lunatic, but fascinating man. Didn't know you could read the stuff you learn doing the podcast. That's incredible. Well, you know, (laughs) I spent a lot of time this summer practicing my uh, ABCs. And, you know, that's nailed it. Very good, Rory. But now let's see if you can nail the first one minute to kick off quiz of the season. Ladies and gentlemen, you've heard it right. It's back. And for the first time this season, it is quiz time, and it's my turn to be quizzed. I think we're going to start the table off fresh this year. I think I won last year, right, Tommy? Is that how it went? Yeah, we were so busy like organizing so much other stuff that in the end, I feel like those results were... Let's say that last year was a preparation, and this year we're actually keeping track of every single score. So Rory. this is the real quiz. This is the real quiz. Yes. So for, for the new listeners, for the listeners that have just partied too much this summer, do you want to remind the rules of the one minute to kick off quiz? So the rules are quite simple. As you can probably guess from the title, Um, Me or Tommy will have one minute to answer as many questions as we can on a chosen subject. I, this week, have chosen something that should be fresh in the mind, and I shouldn't really have any excuses for getting any of them wrong, and I have chosen Euro 2020. I'm ready to be hurt again and open some old wounds as Tommy quizzes me. Yes. So, yes, a tournament that uh, represents a beautiful memory for some of us, for 50% of this podcast, and not so great of a memory for the other 50%. But, Rory, let me ask you, are you ready to rumble? Are you ready to try and answer as many questions as you can about Euro 2020 in one minute? Let's do it. Ready, set, go. The two teams that scored the most goals. Spain and Italy. Correct. The keeper with the most saves. Sommer. Correct, with 21. The player with the most tackles. Kante. Wrong. Team with the most red cards. 
Oh, damn it. Uh, pass. No. Player with the biggest distance covered. Jorginho? Correct. 2.5. More or less goals per game? More. Correct. And finally, which team's supporters kept singing It's Coming Home, but ended up losing the final to Italy in their home stadium? No idea. Don't know that one. <laughs> no idea. And that was it. Rory, really? You can't remember? Let me refresh your memory. So there was a team that was playing in their home turf and they ended up losing the cup to Italy. You so really that's cannot... the end of the show, listeners. Thank you for joining <laughs> us. Um, sorry we have to leave so early, but time does tick on. Yes, I'm aware, Tommy. Yes, uh, I'm aware. But I was, I was willing to sacrifice the point on principle. When I when I was preparing for this quiz, all I wanted to do was que were questions about Italy or like bad <laughs> stats about England. So the two teams with most goals scored were Italy and Spain with thirteen, correct. And uh, Sommer for Switzerland was the keeper with the most saves, twenty one. The player with the most tackles was Verratti for Oof. Italy with thirty. The team with most red cards, not far, not far from England. Wales. Wales with two. The player with the biggest distance covered was Jorginho with 86.6 kilometers, which Ooh. means 12.37 kilometers per game. Let Whoa. that sink in. Of course, more goals per game than 2.5. The average was 2.79. It was quite a goal fest this summer. And Rory, which team supporters kept singing it's coming <laughs> home, but ended up losing the final treat in their home turf? Of course, it was you and all of your friends, the supporters of the Three Lions. So how is it going in England? Do you think people have digested it, Rory? Um. I don't know. I've not been back in the country in two years. I feel like talking to my friends, we just don't talk about it anymore. It's kind of like, let's just not talk about it and then maybe focus on the World Cup next year. I don't know. I think we can appreciate how great a tournament it was for England apart from the final. Um, and the fact we've, the steady progress, like I think we talked about it in our in, in our review episode, but the steady progress from semi-final to final to now, like there needs to be that progress again. I think like holistically we can see the progress and look at it as a good summer, but unfortunately it was overshadowed by a lot of things. So yeah, I think good and bad. So, yeah. I don't know. We can move on. <laughs> does it, does it mean that it's coming home next year at the world cup? Well, it has to come home at some point. So why not next year? <laughs> well, Maybe not in your lifetime. We shall see. But Rory, that's a wrap for the first episode. Impressions. How do you feel? Oh, it's good to be back. It is good to be back. I kind of forgot what it felt like to be sat in front of the microphone, you know, doing your notes, getting ready. We've got a whole season ahead of us, Tommy. We start again. We go again. Um, and next Maybe week, this time. Maybe this time I'll be celebrating at the end of the season. Maybe. We can well, all hope. Yeah. And about that and a lot of other things, next week, remember, we're going to have a very similar episode, but the focus is going to be on Serie A. And you can expect a big rant from your favorite co-host, Tommaso Adami. <laughs> Holy shit, it's been bad. But Rory... One will... of your favorite co-hosts. Can I just say that? One of your favorite co-hosts. One of. But um, uh, I will let you send the listeners off, Rory. 
So to send off our first quote at the end of the episode this week is from a great interview, which was on Dazone with the great man himself, Marcello Bielsa, where he was talking about the state of football. And he says, the love for football has to start with your own, with your place, with who you are and what's at hand. There are five or 10 huge global teams, but who is going to pay attention to their own? Thanks a lot, guys. And we will see you next week for the Serie A preview. 